Hey friends, it's Corey Andrew Powell here, letting you know it's time to treat yourself with an exclusive Motivational Mondays deal at the NSLS shop. Listeners get 20% off shop-wide with the code MONDAYS. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Need a new coffee tumbler? Or perhaps you want to keep it classy with a new hardcover notebook? Well, get them on sale. Listen, with this deal, I'm tempted to trade in my bow tie collection for one of those cute NSLS hoodies. And don't forget, use code MONDAYS at checkout. That's M-O-N-D-A-Y-S. Enjoy that 20% off at shop.nsls.org. And stay motivated, leaders. Stay motivated. Hello, everyone. I am Corey Andrew Powell, and welcome to the Motivational Mondays podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories and conversations to uplift your week. Now, today we are so thrilled to have with us Onika Mays, who is a multi-hyphenated facilitator, author, yoga instructor, and mindfulness advocate. And Onika's grounded leadership, her deep knowledge of yoga teachings, and her lived experiences as a queer Black feminist make her a very notable force for building a more compassionate world. Onika, welcome to Motivational Mondays. I am so thrilled to be here. I can't wait to talk to you. Oh, I'm telling you, same here. Full transparency, everyone. Onika and I are childhood friends. Friends, uh, former classmates in high school, actually, and I just absolutely adore her uh, beyond the moon. Not just of all that she's done, but just because of all that she's continuing to do. And I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm happy you're here, Onika. So thank you. I've been trying to get you here. Finally, you're here. But I've been trying to get you here for a while. So thank you so much. Everything the stars aligned. It's so wonderful to be with you. First, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things I mentioned in the intro about you. Uh, One of the main things, of course, that really inspired me about you over the years is how you've evolved to this place of like higher consciousness, you know, this mindfulness. And as I mentioned, you know, it really is all about your perspective and how the world connects, you know, how life connects and its interconnectivity and how we're all, you know, kind of in this thing together to make this life work. So, you know, uh, yoga for you obviously has become a big part of that as well, a, a part of you evolving to this state of mindfulness. So talk a little bit about that, if you would. Yeah, I have to say yoga was a transformative um, part of my life. About 15 years ago, I had a personal tragedy and somebody that um, I loved got killed in Iraq. And I found myself on my yoga mat. And when I hit my yoga mat, I recognized and realized that I didn't really love myself fully. And that practice allowed me to completely fall in love with myself. And from that, I fell in love with the world and realized that as like a black queer woman, I was um, holding on to some narratives about myself that I didn't want to necessarily admit and some self-loathing. And when I practiced yoga, I opened myself up and I realized that I could show up just as who I was. And it didn't matter what the world thought of me. And when I did that, I found joy. And then from there, I wanted to share that joy with the world. That's amazing because, you know, so much of what we talk about is always like finding who you are and showing up as your most authentic self. And that's a really big part of the leadership conversation Mm -hmm. here that we have on Motivational Mondays and here at the NSLS Mm -hmm. in general, because it's a really big one. Uh, So for me... You know, I have a very similar connection, you know, very similar story as yours. You know my story. You know, I had those same issues sort of growing up and trying to reconcile who I was with the narratives as a, a black gay man who was mm-hmm. always sort of in conflict with self. Yeah. And it's like the things that we think 
stop people from loving us are the very things that people will love about us. You know, the things that we try to hide are the things that make us so interesting and unique. So why not let that stuff shine and share that with the world? And I think that's important for leaders, right? When they're working with teams, those things that, you know, your team members have that you might think are an issue are actually the very strength that you should be tapping into them because then they're going to show up to be their best because they can be the their true selves. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I always laugh and say that, you know, I check off so many boxes now, but back in the day, you know, we were afraid to check off those boxes. You know, we didn't want to identify as this or that, or have people look at us a certain way or pass judgment. And now I'm like, you know what? I check all the boxes. I'm like, I'm going in, I'm going to walk in, I'm going to check black, I'm going to check gay, I'm going to check male, I'm going to check, you know, Uh like all the things who I am, because once you embrace who you are unapologetically, it makes all the difference in the world, right? Yeah. I think one of the boxes that I realized that I couldn't check was that I didn't really feel like I fit in a box anywhere. You know, I think growing up, I felt too black for my white friends, too white for my black friends, not straight enough for straight people, not gay enough for gay people, too gay for straight people. And then I realized, you know what? I just got to be me. And my people will find me and I will find my people. Yeah, I I love that, you know. And, you know, you and I have privately talked as well about the whole black-white dynamic too because we both sort of had that similar experience, you know, being young, sort of, I guess, lovers of language and speaking a certain way. And especially when you're an African-American in this country, sometimes, you know, you speak a certain way and – um, mm-hmm. with a less urban vernacular, I would say, yep. and, you know, you get a lot of the, um, you sound white or you talk white and I would get that. And I know you did too, cause we talked about it, but yeah, I'd always get that from other, actually inner city black kids would tell me that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, um, I don't talk white. I just, I'm just speaking English. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we've been through that our whole lives and, um, I would just say, no, I'm, I'm speaking English. So I don't understand that whole dynamic, but yeah, there's a lot of layers Mm -hmm. to navigate and um, we have to kind of finally identify with who we are, love ourselves. And that's when we, that's when we really propel ourselves forward. I believe, you know, now I want to ask you as well, as far as your work, uh, how does being, I guess, a black feminist who is a part of the LGBT community, how does Mm -hmm. that shape, you know, or assist your work and the things that you do, how you perceive your your role as a yoga instructor who's teaching mindfulness to your students. How does that work? I think I teach through my lens. And so when I show up to spaces authentically as who I am, I think it sets a, a sets a tone for students to allow themselves to have the experience that they need to have. And I think because of who I am, I recognize that mm-hmm. often people will try to have stories about you or think certain things about you. So I'm very conscious right. of the right. fact that I allow people, and I don't know everybody's experience, and I don't think I have to, but what I do recognize is that because of my own lived experience, experience. I'm not here to judge anybody's experience. So people can show up and do what they need to do for themselves because I think that's liberation, right? And that's what yoga did for me. It allowed me to liberate myself from being seen a certain way or sort of swallowing stories about myself. So being me allows myself to have students to, to, for them to be themselves. And I think that really helped when I was working in a really violent environment like Rikers. 
Yes, absolutely. I want to talk about that, Rikers. That's one of the most fascinating things to me about what you've been doing over the past few years, the work at Rikers. But before we get to that, I want to just mention, though, on the same topic that you just mentioned, it's it's very aligned with when I have heard people talk about the most doubting voice very often that's in our own head is the mm-hmm. one that we've put there. It's so prominent. Like my colleague, Rob Shooter, who I do the uh, Naughty But Nice podcast with, you know, he said that. He's like, you know, that voice in our head is usually our own, but it's really just mm-hmm. regurgitating all the negative things that people have said about us, right? All the naysayers, all the negative, all the things that they like have been projecting on us. It's really that voice in our head that we hear is really that being said over and over again, the things that other people thought about yes. us. So you have to kind of like, you know, mute those voices, know how to get rid of them and then get back into who you are, who I am, you know, and believe what's true to you and your vision and what you want, not how other people perceive you. Oh, I love that. I, you know, that's what happened. You know, I had a similar experience when I decided to completely change my life because I had a whole life before I was doing what I was doing now. I was in book retail for almost 20 years and, and love that, you know, book people are my people. But after I, um, I had that tragedy and I was in a yoga class in, in Manhattan, it was about 110 degrees, 75% humidity. And the yoga teacher said, you can change or you can be comfortable, but you can't do both things at the same time. And my world exploded. And I recognized that I was going to do things differently. And that was going to mean having to confront that doubting voice that you were just talking about and really putting her to rest by telling her, like, listen, you're okay. And those things that you did and you moved in a certain way because you had to, because you didn't know any other, you didn't know better. But once you know better, like Maya Angelou says, you can do better. So I allowed that little girl who didn't feel like she was enough to rest and play let her know that I was going to take care of her with this newfound love that I had for myself. And that's the way that I show up into spaces now. Yeah, it's amazing. It really does boil down to confidence, accepting yourself, warts and all, you know, good and bad. I talk to a lot of people who have a hard time with that. You know, I just did a talk last Mm -hmm. week. We had an online webinar at the NSLS and we had over like 700 to a thousand people who registered and, you know, a lot of the people signed up for the presentation that I did that was um, mm-hmm. called uh, Transforming Your Personal Story Into Your Brand or Turning Your Personal Story Into Your Personal Brand. Oh, I saw and, that. Uh, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. It was, that it was really amazing. good. And, um, you know, I, I just, the feedback I got back was really amazing because so many women, especially, I think because women in society mm. really are dealing with another level of what people don't understand when it comes to the issues of rights and and women's liberation. And I mean, women are clearly a marginalized group, right? So they have a lot they've endured and they feel very minimized very often. And so I just wanted to let, let them know that, you know, your voice is important. Speak up. And a lot of them are just sharing with me that they're for the first time being assertive and making themselves heard and not really being minimized, not, not, not allowing someone to minimize them. So Rikers, let's get to Rikers. So when I first talked to you in person, like we saw each other or something, you know, years ago, when you were telling me about this and it blew my mind, it's so outrageous, but amazing because Rikers is not like just a prison. It's like one of the most like dangerous environments for the prison population in general, like, you know, let alone 
people who have to work there, it's dangerous for them as well. So you're going in there voluntarily to work. Uh, I'm just picturing like, <laughs> you know, here you come with like a yoga mat and like a latte <laughs> in the prison. Like, hey guys. I'm like, whoa, how'd that happen? You know, so um, how did that evolve? And, um, you know, how, how did you end up working in that prison system doing yoga? Yeah, it's, um, I wish I had some really cool, sexy story about it. And I don't, I was having a conversation with my cousin once I became a yoga teacher and, um, we come from a family of activists. Our grandfather was a black Panther and a union organizer and a communist and a professional rabble rouser. And my grandmother was politically active. So being socially aware sort of in my genes. And when I became a yoga teacher, my cousin was just mentioning like, maybe you should like teach in a jail or something. And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. So I just went to the Google and put yoga jail. And I found an organization that was going to Rikers. And so I started going, and this is over a decade ago. And I first went as a volunteer once a week, um, showing up with my yoga mat, just like you said. And um, it was the most transformative experience of my life. Working with our siblings who are incarcerated really lets you know that we are connected. And that population is easy to sort of dismiss or think about because we don't see them. But the truth is, is that if somebody isn't free, we all aren't free. And by showing up and, and teaching practices like yoga and mindfulness, it was about also bringing that conversation around liberating ourselves. And it sounds corny and trite, but freeing our minds, regardless of the situations that we're in and allowing people to do that and finding ways to um, have people fall back in love with themselves at a time in their lives when it may seem the darkest. You're not talking about someone like who's in there because they who stole a candy bar. You know, there's some really, really difficult, tough people in there. Well, that that is true. That's also the other part, because there are those people there, too. So I think that's the that was what I had to navigate. It was a com it was a combination. There are some people who were there for issues with shoplifting, which, you know, is a whole nother conversation about the, the system, which I'm not going to have, but also people who were there for very serious reasons as well. And, you know, and also people who shouldn't have been there. There's a, a wide variety of issues that were, that were happening. And it became less about the yoga and the mindfulness and the more about me showing up and just bearing witness to people's experiences and showing up as a vehicle of love, because I do, I do believe we can disrupt systems with love. So that makes me want to learn more about the next stage of that. Like, mm -hmm. what would you then consider are the tangible outcomes of the work that you were doing there with the yoga teachings and the mindfulness in a prison environment to some really hardened inmates? You know, it would depend. I think it's very similar to the situation, to the outcomes that I had working with folks, you know, on the outside. I learned to let go of outcomes. But with some folks, they were transformed that, you know, I, I had some folks that I, it was like, I was being a private yoga teacher and we, we really delved into a very deep yoga practice and then full transparency. I had some people who tried it and didn't like it at all. And there's power in that though, too, because there's power in being able to say no to something, right? When you have not been able to have any freedom and everything is told to you to try something and say, no, I don't like this, that you now know something about yourself that you didn't know before. So I think there's even, there's freedom in that. 
Do you know what I'm saying? Like, we always think of it as like, oh, let me try to have somebody have this great experience. But sometimes I, I tell lots of people, meditation isn't for everybody, especially in, if you're in the middle of like a, a really deep psychological crisis, you know, that might not be the answer. So learning to emotionally regulate can be a very powerful thing. And folks do learn that through, through mindfulness and yoga. Listen, well, I have to be honest because, you know, um, so my partner loves yoga, right? He... Well, I mean, he used to. I mean, he still does it to a degree, but a lot of yoga practice in the past. And in the morning now, he does it as part of his mm -hmm. early routine. You know, he's up by himself. He does the stretches. And, you know, he attributes a lot of his physical well-being to doing yoga. And, you know, for me, um, I don't know. I tried it years ago, you know, and... Um, I, I, nah, it, wasn't, mm -hmm. it wasn't for me. You know, I'm like, I'm good, you know, but I just think that maybe I copped out a little bit. Maybe mm -hmm. I should give it another mm -hmm. go, you know? Yes. And, and yes. And Corey, you saying that is so important because yoga, yoga is not all of that, right? Yoga is the way that you move through the world and show up authentically. You being you and showing up in spaces in the way that you are, that's yoga. That is yoga. We always think of yoga as the physical movement, but yoga is like a way of life. And it's under yoga is understanding that we're all connected. Um, so the yoga doesn't have to look just like what you're describing as asana, right? And I think that's what I also talk to people about too. So some people who thought that they didn't like yoga recognize that they were doing yoga just by having a conversation with somebody that, that, that's coming from your heart to their heart. That's yoga. Well, you know, it's funny. I have to bring up, of, of course, the, the, the way this whole interview with you and I today came about finally with the planets aligning, as you call, as you say, you know, I, um, it started from a, a booking that I did, and I actually have to interview her uh, right after I get finished with you. You shared a post of uh, Susanna. Oh, Susanna Barkataki. She is uh, the best. It was her speaking about the Western appropriation of yoga, you know, and it really was interesting. It got me thinking about how, like, the commercialization of yoga is a very different thing from, like, the actual, you know, ancient teachings and she talked about the appropriation of it as this big commercial thing and you know it's pretty amazing to hear her talk about how this four thousand mm -hmm. year old practice that's for everybody became this sort of like elitist you know if you will like white sort of affluent activity uh with really expensive clothing yes. and memberships to yoga studios and you know she's like that's not what it is uh -huh. at all so you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to talking with her today because um, just like you said, the same thing about yoga, you know, it's this big commercial thing now. And um, when I think of yoga, I don't think of people of color. I think of some elite thing that uh, I'm not necessarily invited to, to participate, which is just the way yoga has been branded. I didn't, that's not how I thought of it on my own. That's sort of like what the landscape has made me feel when I look out into the, the world of marketing. Yes. I found what yoga really was at Rikers Island. That's when I found the practice. That's when I discovered what the practice was about. And that's what shifted me. And, and it changed the way that I saw myself and it changed the way that I saw the world. And I started to realize that you don't have to like people to love them. It sounds, it sounds like a, a wacky thing to say, but I think we're so obsessed. Um, and I think this even ties in with that Lululemon idea that this idea of perfection and being liked and, and being approved of stops us from loving one another. 
And so I learned that I didn't have to like people in order to love them. And I didn't have to have people like me. And that freed me to just love people. You know, like what is, what did Mother Teresa say? If you judge people, how can you love them? And I think it's similar to that. So when it comes to the kind of work you do, where you are going beyond yoga and, and teaching the mindfulness and teaching personal growth and transformation, how do you create that safe space environment, you know, safe, inclusive space for people where they are able to fearlessly be receptive to the personal growth that you're trying to implement? So I, what I teach is that the safe space that we find is inside ourselves, that um, there's no space that we can find that will be 100% safe. I learned that at Rikers. I worked with folks and I had my own office. It was actually kind of lovely. It had a window and all this other stuff. But an officer could come in at it any time because, you know, the doors didn't, the doors didn't lock from the inside. And something, you know, I recognize that in that environment, it was never going to be 100% safe. And it was in that moment, I realized that we are the safe space inside ourselves. And we have to do that by recognizing that our own hearts are tender and, and how can we take care of ourselves? How can we create boundaries for ourselves from, from harm that either we're doing to other people or other people are doing to us? That's the way that I create safety for folks. They can understand that they are their own safe space. And that's also transformative because that gives power to people over their own lives and over their own livelihood. It's so funny you said that because basically you're answering like, the next question that I was going to ask you, which is, um, you know, how do you balance or how do you help people balance the joy and the disruption of life, you know, at the same time, because that does require balance. You know, there's good, there's good and there's bad. We have ups and downs and, you know, you kind of tapped into that with this more teaching idea that you can't get happiness or feelings of completion from things or material things or in a space or with an object, et cetera. You know, it has to come from inside. My deepest joy is, it can even be in moments of sadness, but it's because I'm embracing all parts of me at any given time. That's how I find joy. When I have the wholeness of my experience in my heart and I'm not running from any of it, that's like, that's liberatory. And in that liberation, I am truly joyful. Right. So it lives at the intersection of embracing past traumas, whatever difficult times that we've had or experiencing or have experienced. And then you aspire to have joy. They, yes, because it's when we're whole, we're not running from anything. And when we aren't running, we're free to be exactly who we are and who we're meant to be. That is something to celebrate. Right. Especially when you're in a, if you're a woman in a marginalized community, like being whole as yourself yeah. is like a revolutionary act. Oh, and you know, uh, speaking of revolution, I know, of course, you are really involved in a lot of social, uh, social justice causes mm -hmm. as well. I mean, you're passionate about social justice and that's aligned with the work that you do and also the work that you do to inspire others to become more socially conscious in what they're doing. So how do individuals, uh -huh. how can individuals, I should say, use their spirituality, I guess, in their, uh, their efforts to participate in a society that's more aware and more aware of others. I'm so excited that you asked this question because people ask me this all the time. 
you might be disappointed with the answer, but everybody, everybody has their own way that they can show up to be more socially active. And it's by doing our own work. I know that's really like not the sexy answer and that's the spoiler alert. But the truth is, is that when we take care of ourselves, when we reflect on our own actions and how we show up in the world, we are making the world a better place. We may not think so because we think that, well, I'm just one person, but when you take care of yourself and then you then have a different conversation with somebody, that ripples out. And can you imagine if everybody in the world took 30 seconds a day just to sit with themselves, the world would be transformed. So it can seem so overwhelming with so many things happening in the world. Like it can seem like I, I can't just do, I can't do anything. It's all just too much to think about. And then you can say, I'm going to sit with myself in my own heart and take care of myself. Because when you do that, you also show up as a model for other people to say, if she can do it, I can do it. That is the way to change. Look, it's almost like you're psychic because again, you've just like answered another question <laughs> that I was going <laughs> to ask you beforehand. You already answered it because my question was going to be, you know, advisement. What is your advisement for people who want to begin to incorporate mindfulness into their daily lives, but they don't know where to begin or what to do? You know, mm -hmm. so it's like, what's that thing that they should begin with? And and I think that, you know, I, what I got from you was like a starting point would be really sitting with yourself for a moment. A moment. 10 seconds. It does not, you know, we think it has to be really big, right? In the United States and in and, and the West, where bigger is better and more is better. But just start small. Sit still for five seconds. And guess what? If you can't sit still because of ADHD or some other reason, that's okay too. Take an object here, um, a rock. Hold on to a rock and just feel it and just be with yourself holding the rock. That's mindfulness. There are so many ways that we can find ways to be mindful. A handful of spices, rub them together in your hand and smell them. That's a moment of meditation, of mindfulness. It's so We can find so many different ways. Go outside, find a flower, look at it, smell it, light a candle, look at the flame. There's all different ways. It doesn't have to be like sitting like Buddha on the mountaintop. Not at all. I love that said because one of my interviews I really enjoyed was uh, with, I, I would imagine, you know, Vishen Lakiani from like Mind Valley, and he's really big into meditation and that's his platform and everything. And um, I had him on the show and he was talking about uh, meditation in general. And he was like, you know, everyone have this sort of grand idea that they have to sit Indian style with their hands like, you know, like this with like a jewel on their forehead or, you know, <laughs> in this position to look like they're doing Indian yoga or yoga. And he was like, no, you can actually meditate and do these breathing practices, et cetera. And you're anywhere that you can find that space and do it. Like anywhere, your car, your, your bedroom and your closet or your desk, wherever. I used to tell the folks at Rikers because Rikers is really loud because you have TVs blasting, people laughing or fighting, arguing, phones ringing, door slamming, noise that you can't have imagined. The first time I actually went there, I cried when I left because this, the noise was so much inside my body. I couldn't handle it. And all I could think of how, how do people 
how do they live like that 24 hours a day? And so when I started teaching meditation there, I was thinking, this is, this is just stupid. How am I going to do this? It's so loud. And then recognize that folks who can meditate at Rikers, they're the masters, right? They're the bodhisattvas. They're the, they're the Buddhas. Because when you can find a moment of stillness and be like that quiet in the eye of a hurricane at a place like Rikers, you've got it. Like you've absolutely got it. Um, and so folks became my teachers when they were telling me about their experience with meditation in the middle of a really loud dorm or something was going on and they, they found a moment of silence. I'm like that. I need that. I need to listen to that. That's also inclusive of, I guess, what we would call, you know, breath work, right? Breath work with meditation. Breath work or pranayama is um, energy because prana is like energy. So we can move our energy with the breath. So breath work can be another way to tap into this idea of mindfulness. And stillness doesn't even have to be mean physically still, right? It's this idea of like recognizing that you're in the moment, right? This When you're, when you say like, you know, a good example is like when you're driving somewhere and you get from point A to point B and you don't even remember like what happened in between. And you say to yourself, oh my gosh, how did that happen? That moment that you say, oh my gosh, that's your moment of stillness and clarity because you're truly recognizing that you weren't present. Yeah, because now that you said that, I think what I really pondered was that moment. You know, I think I had left, you know, I guess I had left the moment driving because my mind was somewhere else and I was driving and I was think thinking about something else and really, really intensely. And before I knew it, I was sort of like on mm -hmm. autopilot driving and I didn't even realize I was driving anymore. And I came to a stopping point and I was like, wait, did I just like drive? Like, how did I even get to this thing? You know, or even remember like how I got to this road. It's yes. And, and it's, it can be scary. The issue is, is that we can tend to do that all of the time. So then we aren't showing up for life, you know? And so that's why we practice mindfulness exercises. So we recognize when that happens and we can be present for our own life because it's happening right now, you know? And so if we're, we're hanging out, like thinking about things that happened like five years ago, or we're, we're living like 10 years ahead and worried about that, we aren't here right? We aren't here right now where everything is going on and, and then we miss it. I love it. Excellent words of wisdom from Onika Mays, author, yoga instructor, and mindfulness advocate. This has been absolutely a wonderful, wonderful time, long time overdue. And I'm so happy uh, that you were able to join us today, Onika. And also I want to shout out that in 2022, Onika was one of our guest summit speakers and she did a great job yes. there as well. And so many of the members like came up to her afterwards and took pictures and wanted to get her information and just to keep in touch. You know, she made them feel really, really loved and, and seen when she shared with uh, the young people in the audience at the last summit in 2022, uh, our last live summit in 2022. So uh, we love you here in SLS. And I just want to say thank you again for being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Motivational Mondays presented by the National Society of Leadership and Success and available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm Corey Andrew Powell, and I'll see you again here next week.